Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It is December 4th, 2022. I'm Blois Olson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Well. One of the shiny object issues of this upcoming legislative session is the legalization of marijuana. I feel like it's been treated as a foregone conclusion, but it's a complicated issue. How quickly would we see a market in Minnesota? What will be the rules of the market? We have three big guests. Laylee Fedahi, she's with Minnesota is Ready. John Hausladen from the Minnesota Truckers Association, he's against it. And House Commerce Chair Zach Stevenson on all the layers of regulation and consideration that the legislative leaders and new legislators are going to have to figure out. And in this upcoming week, we've got the budget forecast coming on Tuesday. How big is it going to be? And more importantly, what does it look like in the years out? And what does it mean for revenue? in the near term. Still many things unknown about the future of the state politics. Minnesota lost its attempt to be the first primary for the Democrats this week, of course, on national politics. Always the bridesmaid here in Minnesota, never quite the bride. Oh, well. When we come back, Lele Fetihi, She is an advocate for legalizing marijuana. She's deeply involved in this. And she'll talk about why she thinks it's Minnesota's next craft industry. I'm Blois Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. My first guest on Sunday Take this week is Laili Fati. Um, and she is the campaign manager for Minnesota is Ready, one of the major groups in legalizing cannabis and marijuana in the state. Laylee, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you've been working on this for a number of years. Um, obviously, there's plenty of states who've legalized it. Just even the idea that Minnesota is Ready is your campaign name and your theme says you guys have thought we we're ready for a long time. There's Obviously, the political dynamics have changed. DFLers control the House, Senate, and the governor's office. The House and the governor have said they're in good shape on this. The Senate signals they'll listen and hear and probably try to pass something. How ready are we as a state to to legalize, and and why are we ready? So I think that we are ready now to legalize. I mean, there is going to need to continue to be substantive discussion and work on ensuring that we pass the best legalization policy, um, hopefully in the country uh, this session. But we have been doing the work over the last, you know, however many years, and especially over the last uh, uh, three, four years to engage with stakeholders, to engage with members of the public, to work with legislators to get everybody uh, in a place where we're able to have a productive conversation to move forward on these policy provisions. And quite frankly, we are ready because uh, we need legalization and an oversight framework um, in order to advance public safety. One of the, one of the issues is um, that I hear about is the idea that you're replacing a black market with a legal market. What does that mean? How do you balance those two things so that the black market does not exist? I mean, not that it's going to go away completely, right? But how do you, how do you, I don't know, balance the initiatives of a legal market with deterring a black market? And what have other states done? Yeah, so a black market is able to exist when the licit legalized market is either uh, so much more expensive for people that they choose to still go to the black market to purchase their cannabis products, or accessibility is so constrained to products from the licit market that, again, people uh, choose to go to the black market. And so, you know, we want to have a well-regulated legal cannabis market um, that is accessible for adults, responsible adults to access and, and purchase these products. And we want to ensure that the, the pricing and, uh, taxation and all the things that determine kind of the overall cost of the products are such that, um, you know, people are not going to the black market. So one, you know, people will debate all all day about health and safety and those kinds of things, but let's just talk about markets for a minute. Obviously, 
alcohol and tobacco are taxed pretty heavily. Do you imagine, is there a rate that that has been floated or studied that makes sense on cannabis and or what does it mean for revenue to the state or to local jurisdictions um, that, you know, are, you know, that are going to collect taxes on this because it's going to be a revenue generator, but it's probably not a huge revenue generator. Is that right? Yeah, well, and I think that the states that have really gone kind of uh, you know, gotten this wrong are the ones that have looked at legalization and their cannabis market as some sort of cash cow okay. for funding, you know, um, all sorts of government priorities, um, which, you know, when when you start doing that, oftentimes, that's when you end up with a kind of high taxation and things that ultimately results in people continuing to go to the black market. I think that they're the um, the policymakers and the staff that are working on this bill have been doing a lot of research and engagement with experts in the state, out of state, industry, et cetera, to figure out what a correct tax rate is. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, I don't think they've, they've settled on that. It'll be part of the discussion this session, but I think, you know, our campaign and I think the folks that are working on this bill um, agree that we need a tax rate that, again, discourages people from going to the black market, but also, you know, is able to sustain at least the oversight that is necessary uh, for for the product market. We're going to have to set up a an oversight system. We are going to need to put some of the revenue into mitigation of some of the risks that cannabis, even in a legal market, creates, you know, education to ensure that people are not driving under the influence. There's enforcement of that kind of thing that, you know, we're doing proper education of underage individuals, um, that we're putting some money into substance use, um, education and such. So, you know, those are the things we're thinking of when we're thinking about what should revenue be be going towards, as well as into some some of the social equity programs? Is there? I don't even know. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I this is not an issue I have a strong opinion on, but I obviously have to understand it. Um, is there an age that most states have chosen? Is it eighteen? Is it twenty one? Does it is it different by state? Twenty one, and I think it's twenty one, and I think in Minnesota there is almost uniform agreement that. 21 is the correct age to to set okay. for this. And that's the current age that we have set uh, for the hemp-derived uh, oh, cannabis THC edible product. yep. uh, products. Um, and, and I think that is what we will be pushing for here as well. Do you see this effort and this legislation being a way to smooth out some of the rocky issues related to the hemp-related THC? stuff does this help kind of consolidate it under one uniform law or are those two separate issues i think that you know the the it is a it will ultimately be a framework for uh regulating all of these products i think you know as as once we have a full adult use legalization market and licensing, I think that we are going to be seeing people that right now are creating hemp derived THC products shift into that expanded market because it just doesn't make uh, financial sense to be making THC products from plants that only have 0.3% THC. 
But that hemp-derived THC market is going to be very important um, as we are going through the process of setting up our regulatory structure, getting the market you know, ready, because it is going to be the runway that allows our local Minnesota-based industry and businesses to be competitive once we get to a full adult use legalization market. And that is something that is going to make Minnesota very unique and something that is going to um, I think really be helpful for this vision that I know MN is ready has for Minnesota's cannabis market being a Minnesota based craft industry. So that's, that was my last question for you um, is so you, so the idea is this will be grown processed and distributed in Minnesota by Minnesotans and um and it, do you have a timeline by which after it's passed, you think that that takes to set up the industry and the regulation and and attract people to the to the to the business, get them licensed, et cetera? Yeah, I think it's going to, you know, we the the current legislation and I think we're going to see hopefully in the next few weeks with the next iteration of this legislation is going to look like it sets up an entirely new oversight system. So it sets up a cannabis management board, which is a cross-jurisdictional entity that will manage all kind of cannabis uh, uh, cultivation, the production, the retail and everything. So that has to get set up. Then you have to do, you know, all the rulemaking and then you have to do the licensure. This is going to take a while. I don't think that we're going to start seeing full adult use cannabis products on the market. I mean, I would say the absolute earliest would be the last quarter of 2024, if not first quarter 2025. But again, um, I think that we will see legislation also pass this session to tighten up some of those rules and requirements around the hemp-derived THC products um, and, and... to help ensure that we are able to maintain good continuity of that program for our businesses while we're in the process of getting this set up. Lily Fadahi, thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. My pleasure. Thank you, boys. When we come back, John Hausladen, he leads the Minnesota Trucking Association, one of the groups opposed to legalizing marijuana. Thanks for listening to Sunday Take. We'll be right back. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. My second guest on Sunday Take this week is John Hauslauden. He's the uh, leader of the Minnesota Trucking Association. Uh, they have come out uh, with concerns in opposition to legalizing marijuana. John, thanks for joining me. Yes, thank you, boys. So let's just kind of lay it out there. Obviously, other states have legalized it. it. Minnesota seems to have some momentum. I know you're a part of a coalition, other business groups, industry groups that are concerned about it, uh, opposed to it. Um, is your is your hope to stop legalization this session? Uh, and if so, why? 
Well, I think we need to reframe the debate, Boyce, because it's not about stopping or slowing down. It's about what is best for Minnesota. And we fundamentally think that the legislators have to answer this question. Whatever legislation they pass regarding marijuana, is it going to make Minnesota more or less safe? And based on what we see in other states, it's just going to make Minnesota less safe. So talk about other states and what your colleagues and counterparts in other states have seen when marijuana is legalized. So I represent the trucking industry. We're an interstate industry. And the truth is, regardless of what Minnesota does, uh, it's prohibited federally. Uh, You can't use it. And drivers are in a safety-sensitive position. uh, position. So they have pre-employment testing. They have random testing. And uh, we have a zero-tolerance policy. So we have to start with that understanding that regardless of what Minnesota does, every federal transportation mode has that. Pilots, truck drivers, transit drivers, school bus drivers. And so that is a dynamic we have to deal with. And what we can say is, just take the state of of Washington, for example, the share of drivers involved in fatal crashes with THC in their system doubled after marijuana was legalized in Washington state. And I can tell you, I have a a member that has operations in Minnesota, Colorado, and New Mexico, and their ability to hire qualified drivers in the state of Colorado has gone down dramatically because, frankly, the workforce fails. They fail the drug test. And at a time when we are under extreme supply chain challenges, workforce challenges, uh, safety is one thing, but literally even having people qualified to be able to do these critical jobs is going to be impacted. You know, John, I think you bring up a fascinating point there about the idea that, you know, we see ads everywhere. You drive by a truck uh, stop, you drive by a truck field, a bus bus field, you see help wanted signs, you see buses posted up at schools you know, before school starts. And we've, we've heard plenty of news about that um, related to driver shortages. And um, we, we have to note that during the pandemic, what we learned was that a lot of uh, goods and materials moved via truck. And it was critical that your members uh, and their drivers were out uh, driving those goods. And so I think you do raise an interesting uh, and thoughtful point about, you know, you'd look two, one or two steps ahead. You don't have the drivers, the costs go up. There, there's costs that maybe advocates and, and folks haven't even thought about. Talk about that as an, an issue, uh, the cost of testing, those kinds of things, and, and how that, how the cost of trucking, how everyday Minnesotans see that. Well, right. Uh, if you got it, a truck brought it. Everything spends some time on a truck. And again, let's not forget, it's not just trucking. Every transportation mode has these testing requirements and the need to get, whether it's transit drivers for uh, metropolitan transit or metro mobility or the school bus out in Eden Valley Watkins, they all need these you know, qualified people. And, and I think, Boyce, one thing that gets missed is when you have a policy debate, it seems like, well, if we check all these boxes, we've made the best bill and it's going to service well, but it, it's a fantasy. 
because life is not done in isolation. For example, the legislation that was you know, passed through the House uh, two years ago uh, basically it said, well, okay, everyone's going to take the right dose. They're going to have enough interval between doses, and they're not going to go anywhere after they, you know, have had it. And surely they're not going to be, you know, like drinking alcohol with it, right? And certainly kids are never going to get it. And that's not life. The reality is when you look at the data, all of these things bounce off of each other. And so what was a travesty about last year's THC bill was this rush, rush. Yes, it was public but it was cobbled together as part of a bigger package. And what we really appreciate about Governor Wall's commitment is to say, let's have the conversation. And this needs to be whatever it is. I mean, fundamentally, uh, if we could, we'd do a do-over as an industry. We'd say, roll it back. But the odds of that happening in this environment are, are not large. But uh, we don't have to move forward with commercialization without at least really having this conversation. And again, that's what the governor said. So let's have a standalone bill. Let's put it through a rigorous process. And one of the things that our coalition is developing is a scorecard. We want to talk about all of these different factors so that every time it moves through some stage of the process, we say, how does it do on these, let's say, 10 factors? If it only hits two, we've got eight more factors we have to address. Well, and I think um, I think you raise a good point. My guest is John Hausloud. He's the... Uh, President Executive Director of Minnesota Trucking Association. John, when you look at that scorecard, one of the things that, you know, I assume Zach Stevenson after you in this conversation, but even, uh, you know, proponents, they do believe that there needs to be education and awareness around public safety issues like driving, things like that. I know you've talked to law enforcement. Where, what are law enforcement's concerns and how would you work with law enforcement to make sure that, you know, if legalized, there's, there's something on that scorecard that you guys can measure against? Well, law enforcement is going to have a key role in this, obviously. And, and I can't speak for them, but I've certainly talked to them. And money's going to be part of it, right? Think about this. Police forces across the state are already understaffed. They already just can't do the job we've asked them to do. Now we're going to layer onto this, and we've got two dynamics. We have highway safety, which we care significantly about, but this is going to increase the black market. The data shows that where legalization happens, the black market flourishes. So now law enforcement is going to have to be spending time uh, think of the, the whole meth issue. Think about rural counties. Think about all of that. Uh, so I think it's, it's money, it's training, it's, uh, you know, they, and money isn't going to solve this because it affects the rest of the system. It's mental health, it's student performance. I mean, think about this, Blois. When you think about, you know, what are the big three things that we've been struggling with? We've said underperforming students coming out of the pandemic, we have supply chain issues where we don't, we can't get the stuff we want. And then uh, we have uh, health concerns uh, affecting people. And tell me on any one of those measures where legalizing recreational marijuana is going to help that right now. Police is just a microcosm. And I think one of the biggest challenges is let's say a bill passes and they think they've covered everything. Ultimately, 
solving this and enforcing it and living with it, it's going to be driven to the lowest operational level. Let's just take Metro Transit. Metro Transit can add a bunch of new people with uniforms going to check whether passengers have paid their fares, right? That's part of their safety uh, yeah. initiative. Makes sense. But if there's increased use of marijuana, those people are going to be the front line figuring out what do we do when something's happening on a transit line. That's the downstream stuff we have to think through before we turn this loose. Where do you think the debate needs to start with relative? There's obviously been a lot of work done, but one of the things that I, you know, I'm aiming to try to do this week on the show is to say, okay, let's not talk about what was done. Let's talk about what still needs to be done from a discussion point or a, a debate point. Is there a is there something that hasn't been covered in the previous discussions that you want to make sure? gets covered in the debates and the committee process at the Capitol this year? Well, I think it's a reset on what's the data telling us, uh, because we have states that have passed this that are now rethinking it. They're seeing problems. They're seeing, you know, issues, again, whether it's a greater use of mental health, uh, reduced student performance, increased suicide, you know, all of these things. I think we have to level set. I think we have to go back and say, okay, what have we learned from these states, good and bad, and start there. And, and Blois, you and I have been around the legislative process. <laughs> Sometimes that process is the worst environment for a thoughtful scientific debate, but really that's what's needed. And I would say there's no rush to expand uh, recreational marijuana now. If Minnesota wants to do this, it needs to take its time. We have to fix the THC law passed last year that was an absolute mess with no constraint, no agency. Like who's going to uh, tobacco, firearms, alcohol that exists. We need a whole infrastructure for who's going to oversee and regulate and test. I mean, I mean, it's all of that. Let here's one data point. Colorado has shown for every $1 of tax they, revenue they collect off of the sale of, of uh, marijuana, they're spending four and a half dollars on broader societal impacts. Let's learn from that data. John Hausleb from the Minnesota Trucking Association. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Take. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about this really important issue. When we come back, Representative Zach Stevenson, his committee, the Commerce Committee in the House, will hold hearings and be one of the central places that this issue will be discussed. He'll be my next guest on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Our final segment here on Sunday Take this week is with Representative Zach Stevenson. He'll chair the Commerce Committee in the next legislature in the Minnesota House. And uh, I want to hear from him about how he thinks the process and issues and details related to legalizing marijuana may play out in the session. Representative, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So, um, you know, I call I call legalizing marijuana one of these issues. It's kind of a shiny object. Everybody talks about it. Everybody looks at it. But nobody necessarily gets into the details or the process. And obviously, there's been some work done over time. But where do you think the issue sits as you open the session, A, on the priority list, and B, how how long would it take for the House to pass such a bill from a timeline, number of committees, et cetera? Well, it, it is a 
a significant undertaking to legalize cannabis from a legislative perspective. Uh, it's not um, a, a simple thing. There's a lot of pieces that go into this because there's a lot of issues uh, that are very important to people. Uh, you're creating a brand new uh, market, a brand new legal market. And so there's regulation and licensing and things like that that you have to think about, taxation. Uh, there's also the collateral consequences of the current uh, regime, uh, you know, around uh, expungement and criminal justice and, 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 and those laws. Uh, and then, of course, there's health and safety issues, uh, public health issues. So uh, it is a massive undertaking. Uh, you know, when uh, Majority Leader Winkler carried this bill last year, it uh, went through, um, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating when I say most committees in the House, uh, yeah. a new legislator, new legislature, it's going to have to take the same path, I'm sure. And so it is going to take uh, a long time. And we're going to have to do it the same time as, as you kind of indicate, where there's a lot of other things on the legislature's plate. You know, we've got uh, a budget uh, to write. Um, and the, the state is, is facing a lot of really serious issues that are going to need to be addressed. So there's a lot going on. Is it your sense, and I know you met with your new colleagues and the new DFL members uh, on Friday, is it your sense that, that there are votes in the caucus to pass something? I, I, I think there's a lot of enthusiasm for getting this uh, done among uh, my caucus. Uh, you know, we did pass, as you know, uh, House File 600, Representative uh, Leader Winkler's bill uh, last uh, year off the House floor. Uh, and I, I, I don't think that the um, election materially changes that in a negative way. If anything, it makes it so that we have more support uh, for, uh, for legalization in, in our chamber. You know, the Senate, I think, is a little more um, uh, of something that we'll have to explore and, and see where we are. But but because uh, a lot of new faces over there as well. But I'm hopeful and enthusiastic and optimistic. So you brought up a few different things, um, licensing and taxation. Last session, there was some license clarification and some regulatory clarification around um, hemp with THC and THC uh, sales and distribution. Does this play within that? Is there a new opportunity to clarify? Does there become more, um, I don't know, consistency on taxation? Any thoughts on those issues? My uh, hope would be that we are able to um, to make a uh, uniform system across the board that kind of replaces uh, the current market, you know, both in terms of, um, you know, illegal cannabis and also in terms of what is currently uh, legal hemp-derived THC products. So we need an entirely new approach uh, to the issue is my view. What a, what can Minnesota learn from other states that have legalized marijuana and cannabis? Um, first on kind of licensing and distribution um, and and creation. Um, you know, this is a whole different um, crop that we can grow in Minnesota if it's legal, right? And it's just, as you said, it's big and it's complex. And I want to just kind of pull back some of the layers of, 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 states that have done it right, or maybe states that you'd want to do better than? I think that, um, you know, much when, when I was working on sports betting last year, what I was fond of saying is that we're not going to copy paste 
um, from any other state, we're going to come up with a Minnesota specific model. And I think the same thing needs to happen for cannabis. You know, I don't think that any state has a perfect system. Um, I think that there are things that we could borrow or modify that were employed uh, in other states. I think there are pitfalls uh, in uh, other states that we'll want to avoid, particularly states that by nature of their market structure uh, have not been able to make meaningful progress on eliminating the, the black market uh, for cannabis. You know, uh, that is certainly a significant public policy goal of, of mine is uh, to shift uh, what is currently black market activity into a, a legal regulated and safe uh, market, uh, just like it was with uh, sports betting. And the other thing that I would mention that I think we need to uh, do and I think we have a real opportunity to do is make sure that to the extent that we're taxing cannabis, that we're using those funds to deal with some of the related and sometimes downstream impacts. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I think that um, we have real problems with uh, substance use disorder and mental health uh, in Minnesota. Um, and I think we have an opportunity uh, to devote meaningful resources uh, to addressing those issues. You know, a lot of states that have legalized cannabis have done so at a point of budget weakness. They've had significant deficits and they're looking to legalize cannabis to sort of meet the basic needs of government, fund schools, build roads, that sort of thing. Minnesota is not in that position. We have a significant budget surplus. I guess we'll find out more as we, the budget, next budget forecast comes out shortly. But, you know, I expect us to help still have a pretty good be in a pretty good fiscal position. And so I think that that allows us to think really critically about um, what to do with this money, uh, not what do we need to do with this money. My guest is Zach Stevenson. He's the chair of the Commerce Committee in the House. We're talking about the legislative process and some of the considerations of legalizing marijuana in Minnesota as we enter the next session. You brought up the black market. What what can you do to limit the black market? Does that include it would seem counterintuitive that that would mean maybe stricter penalties or stricter penalties for those who grow and distribute without a license. I mean, I'm just trying to understand from a legal situation, from a lawmaking situation, how you think about limiting a black market. Well, you know, I think that you can kind of look to other times that, that we have taken a, um, a product that had been uh, illegal and made it uh, legal, uh, you know, most consumers would much rather buy in a legal marketplace than in, than a black market marketplace, not just for legitimacy reasons, but also uh, convenience reasons. So as long as there's a, as long as it is not too difficult and not too expensive, most people are going to choose the legitimate market over the black market. So that means that you you, you can't try to over control access. You know, where you make it so that there's only a couple of places you can go and you have to drive very far and it's not accessible and you got to jump through 16 hoops in order to, to buy. And you can't make it too expensive, which means you can't have taxes that are too high and you can't have licensing fees that are too high and you can't, you know, do all of these things uh, that are going to make it too expensive. Because if it's not easy to purchase or it's too expensive to purchase, then the black market can persist. Um, 
is that a generational issue? And I, I say that as someone who, as I said at the beginning of the show, has never consumed marijuana. I don't have a strong feeling one way or another on this issue, but I hear about it and it gets talked about a lot. There's a lot of younger folks that, you know, don't mind the black market and they may end up being some of the bigger, I don't know, bigger consumer. I don't know, the more active consumers in the new system. Um, are, are there examples? Are there studies? Is there anything to look to of, of how to shift that behavior? I think that you can look at different states and that different states have had certain amount of success uh, versus other states. And again, you know, someone may not have a problem from a moral perspective of purchasing on the black market, but if it's easy and cheap to buy in the legitimate market, why wouldn't you? Uh, there's no reason to go to the extra lengths you would have to go to to purchase on the black market. You know, you just kind of think about this as a rational, how a rational actor would. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe it's an assumption that human beings are rational, but, you know, like ultimately you can create a system that uh, makes it really easy uh, to be in the legitimate market and difficult uh, or more difficult to be in the black market. Uh, we heard from John Hausladen earlier in the show about concerns from the trucking industry. There's a coalition growing of business owners or business groups that say, you know, they're against legalization. Now, um, what what kind of input do you think, you know, operators of heavy machinery, um, employers, those kinds of groups should have in the law and what they're allowed to you know, screen for or check on uh, going forward? Because again, if it's a legal product, uh, it's a whole different dynamic from an employee law, employment law situation. So I think that everyone uh, should have a seat at the table and have input into the discussion. You know, I think that uh, the reality is legalization of cannabis is coming. Uh, it, it is not a question of if it's a question of when, and we see it coming around the country. And, you know, I think that with, to the extent that we have so many businesses in Minnesota that work in multiple jurisdictions, um, we have a lot of businesses already that have a lot of experience in dealing with this problem of how do you transition to a legal marketplace? Cause they've seen it in other States in which they are active uh, and they've figured it out. You know, I don't think, that the the sky has fallen uh, in any jurisdiction that has legalized cannabis. Uh, And, you know, there's different levels of success on on different states. But the point is that there's a lot that has already been learned from businesses that are operating very successfully, including heavy machinery operators, including trucking uh, in states that have had legal cannabis for many years now. Uh, just as we wrap up here, any sense of what the revenue projection from taxation might be to the bottom line of the state budget? Oh, boy. You're uh, uh, um, uh, testing my memory. So there was a fiscal note on uh, a revenue estimate, I should say, on the bill that passed the House last year. And I think it was in the neighborhood of 150 to $160 million uh, a year. So it's a significant amount of money, not a game changer for the state's $52 billion budget, but it is a significant amount. And then setting up the system regulatory and otherwise in Minnesota, once you pass the bill, the governor signs it, how long before it's it's legal in Minnesota that you have the infrastructure you need to 
operate it as a safe market? It, there will be a, a, a ramp up period or a, a implementation period, uh, probably of, of many months. So I don't think that we're on the precipice of having, you know, um, uh, legal cannabis available in uh, Minnesota in the very near future. Got it. And then one last note, you always say it's not a question of if not when any other big issues do you think the commerce committee might want to try to tackle this year? Oh, one or two. Yeah. I think there's probably one or two. Uh, and, but you know, along those lines, yes, I do think, uh, I mean, the other phrase where I use that is, is sports betting. I do think we'll discuss sports betting, but I think there's a lot of, of other issues um, that are really, really important uh, to be looking at uh, in, in the commerce committee, the cost of prescription drugs, very important. I think there's meaningful things we can do uh, to bring down the cost of prescription drugs. You know, another issue that's on my mind a lot these days is the proposed merger uh, between uh, Fairview and Sanford. And I think that the Commerce Committee is going to have to take a look at that and take a look at similar uh, types of uh, market arrangements across, or, you know, mergers and acquisitions and concentration of market power uh, across the economy. Uh, you know, I think we have big discussions to have uh, about uh, technology and uh, big tech. We've had some big uh, bills uh, come through that committee in recent years, whether it's things like net neutrality or proposals to, to try and uh, mute the negative impact that big tech has on children. Um, I think we're going to take on some real big subjects. I'm really looking forward to it. Representative Zach Stevenson, thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. When it's Sunday on News Talk 830 and it's 9 a.m., it's Sunday Take. Follow along all week, 620 every morning with Vanita and sign up for our newsletters at fluence-newsletters.com. I'm Blois Olson. Until next week, have a great day. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.